0: The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com. All right. Okay. Well, it's good to see everyone here today. Um, we're going to continue in our study in the book of Habakkuk, um, sorry, yes, so turn with me in your Bibles to Habakkuk, hold on for one second, Sean Jenkins, I did forget something. Oh, he's not even there. <laughs> me, me and Sean were talking about I'm I'm ahead of schedule right now and I'm I'm at a place right now where I I got time, which always means one thing. I forgot to do something. Um yeah, so we're going to be in a in Haggai. Haggai chapter 1, we're going to be finishing uh, chapter 1 uh, today, so Haggai chapter one. Um, that's kind of odd. See, because that should be there. Okay, right? Okay. Okay, uh, we're going to be in uh, verses 14 to 15. Okay, I I got it. I got it together. All right, here we go. Take a deep breath. (sighs) All right. Haggai chapter one, verses 14 to 15. Even though our churches are only able to be the object of revival rather than its producer, I don't think our waiting is as passive as it seems. Let me illustrate with an image from J. James K.A. Smith's book, Imagining the Kingdom. He said, I cannot choose to fall asleep. The best I can do is choose to put myself in a posture and rhythm that welcomes sleep. I lie down in bed on my left side with my knees drawn up. I can't remember. There is a side that's supposed to be better for you than the other. I don't know if it is my left side. But anyway, um, I close my eyes and breathe slowly, putting my plans out of my mind. But the power of my will or consciousness stops there. I want to go to sleep, and I've chosen to climb into bed. But in another sense, sleep is not something under my control or at my beckon call. I call up the visitation of sleep by imitating the breathing and posture of a sleeper. There is a moment when sleep comes, settling on this imitation of itself, which I have been offering to it, and I succeed in becoming what I was trying to be. Sleep is a gift to be received, not a decision to be made, and yet it is a gift that requires a posture of reception, a kind of active welcome. Uh, The whole thing with sleep is fascinating to me, right? Right? Because like we don't, we're not awake and then all of a sudden, you know, you go, okay, sleep and then we're gone, right? It's like one of those things where you're laid down, you're still kind of thinking about things, counting sheep if some of you all are doing that, you know. And then the next thing you know, it's either waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or you're waking up (laughs) <laughs> because the alarm is going off and it's time to wake up for the next day. It's amazing. Sleep is just one of those things that just, it just happens. And I think it's, it's amazing. Uh, and I think a wonderful illustration of what we want to talk about when it comes to the topic of revival today. It's a topic that carries much hope. Revival carries so much wonder, so much exuberation, and so much celebration. Many of us who tire in our day-to-day battle with the pattern of this world, we long for the power, we long for that extra energy, we long for the stirring of our spirits, we long for the spark of enthusiasm, because what an incredible gift it is. Revival is an incredible gift. Now, personally, being a part of a a revival as a young Christian, it is an experience and a wonderful and a marvelous thing. The energy that you get, the motivation, the ordering of vision, and the thinking that you have with a revival is incredible. The extra strength that you get to overcome trials and temptation, the understanding as to how we can beat Temptation and sin becomes very real. That was the one time where I realized, I know, I understand, I see how we're supposed to beat temptation and sin today. Do you know how we beat sin today? It's not because we, we, we get ourselves to not like the sin. We get ourselves to realize how much better Christ is. That's how we overcome temptation and sin. Because we love Christ so much more. All we think about in a revival, all you think about is Christ. When you go to bed, you're thinking about Christ. When you wake up in the morning, you're thinking about Christ. All we think about is the worship of Christ, the work of Christ. All we daydream about is the kingdom of God. We're all consumed with the law and the beauty of scripture. And our illustration shows an active role in a passive act of God. Because here's the thing that we've got to understand when it comes to revival, we don't just sit there. This is huge. Every time you look at you, you look at history, you know, and and I can't say that I'm necessarily like fluent in the understanding of revivals throughout history, but I've dabbled in it and I've done some research when it comes to revivals. And the thing is, is that every time a revival happens, the people were not just sitting there. What do I mean by just sitting there? Like, all right, God can't do anything without you, so. I'm just going to sit here till revival comes. Yeah, it's not as passive as we might think. We walk in the obedience of the Lord because we are disciplined in the walk of the Lord. Yes, we take the posture of sleep to fall asleep, but we also got to be disciplined enough to go to sleep when we need to, right? You got to take the posture of sleep in order for you to go to sleep, but you got to be disciplined enough to go to sleep. Some of us, for you know, especially since you know the the, the creation of Netflix, it's like I got to wake up early in the morning, but just one more episode, I can do just one more episode, and then the episode leaves you hanging, and then it's just like, oh, I, I really should have been asleep an hour ago, but you know what, I can do just one more episode. And the next thing you know, it's time to go to work. We still got to be disciplined enough to go to sleep when we're supposed to. It is an amazing thing. So why, if if revival, Shane, is so amazing, if revival is so awesome, why does does God not keep this going? Why does God not give it to us every time? Why is it that only some will actually experience? Why is it that there, and there are many accounts, many accounts of Christians who have written over and over and over again that they have never experienced revival their whole life? Never gone through it. Never have. What we will see today is that revival, that movement, that which is a result, it's a result of real fear, Real repentance. And the other thing we got to understand when it comes to revival, it is to be the nudge, not the norm for the life of a Christian. Wow. All right, so let's take a look. Haggai chapter uh, 1, verses 14 to 15. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Yeshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21st, of the second year of King Darius's reign. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, the light that it truly is. God, I pray that you will transform us and that it will accomplish its purpose today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is the essence of revival as the result of true repentance and fear. Okay, this is really important that we get this. Second, we will see the norm for the life of a Christian is not fuel or energy from a revival, but the life of a self-disciplined life. Finally, we'll look at the beauty of the gospel and why, because of this, our hope is sure. So our thesis today is this, though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to lose sight of the importance of power in self-discipline, it's the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of scripture that will cause us to pray for revival, persist in discipline, and praise the name of Jesus forever. So point number one, we pray for revival. Yeah, absolutely, we pray for revival. We pray for it. And we pray and we pray and we pray for it. Yes, so that you guys know, full disclosure, guess what I do during my time when I pray for us here at Central Baptist Church? I pray for revival. Oh, absolutely, I pray for revival. I pray for it for the body of Christ. I pray for it for modern evangelicalism. And we see that revival is the real deal. It can and it does happen. Now, here's the thing. When we look at Haggai, when we look at this the instance of what happened here, they truly repented. Not only did they truly repent, but they repented with fear of God in their hearts, and they began to work on the temple of the Lord. So, what does the word do God say here? He says the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of the people. More specifically, maybe more not specifically, more literally, it was the Lord stirred up their spirits. You know, I mean, I, I you know me me growing up in in a in a uh, Growing up in Pentecostalism, (laughs) you know, that was one of the things that we we like to say. Yeah, our our good friend, Pastor Barry, you know, Pastor Barry, he used to say that all the time. Brother Shane, you get up there and you preach and you stir up the people. Stir them up, you know, stirring it up. That's the kind of the, the mentality, the idea. That more literally, when you look at the Hebrew rendering there, the more literally he stirred up their spirits. Maybe even more literal, He woke them up. He caused them to be excited. I love how uh, Matthew Henry, he writes this, beautiful. He says, he encouraged them in their duty. And with those encouragements, enlarged their hearts. Okay, now literally, an enlarged heart is not a good thing. (laughs) But spiritually, yes, it's awesome. When they heard the word they feared, but lest they should sink under the weight of that fear god stirred them up and made them cheerful and bold to enter to encounter the difficulties they might meet with when god has work to do he will either find or make men fit to do it and stir them up spark their enthusiasm get them inside excited i mean it's it's hard to not do things that we're excited to do, right? I mean, when, you know, it's, it's not like I gotta, when I wake up in the morning, I gotta drag myself out of bed when me and the family are gonna go over to the dream stream to do some fly fishing. You know, just the idea sparks my enthusiasm. You know, normally it's like, you know, at, at eight o'clock. You know, the, you look up and it's 8 o'clock and it's like, uh, I gotta go. or 7 o'clock, I got to go to I gotta work, I gotta work. But, you know, when we're going fishing, 4.30 in the morning, it's time. And you're running into everyone's room. Scott, wake up. Scott, it's fishing time. And then, you know, the kids are all. But sparking the enthusiasm, you're excited about stuff. There's nothing. You'll climb whatever. Even if there's traffic, you're still saying, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. Traffic, (laughs) you're still praising the Lord. Enthusiasm, excited. We're excited about things. God will stir his people to do his work. How amazing is a revival? God has stirred and made us enthusiastic about doing what it is that he wants us to do. This is important to see that this was the work of God's hands. It was not the work of a hype man. It wasn't one that comes in to rile up the people, to incite the crowd, to pump the people up. Taylor and Clinton, and they write like those roused from slumber to participate in activity from which they otherwise would have been absent. So these people have been roused from their spiritual inattentiveness to participate in the urgent task before them. The Lord gives us a huge boost of motivation to do the work that needs to be done. And it's the thing I pray for. It's the thing we pray for. You know, I remember at at, at one of our elder meetings, you know, Don brought up the fact that, hey, Shane, we need to commit to each other that we're gonna pray for revival, right? We pray for revival. We gotta pray for revival. Pray for revival. And I agree, yeah, we need to pray for revival. So we pray for revival. I pray for revival. Pray for revival for CBC. I have, and I have been praying for us for several years, and I prayed, start, started praying for revival, though, after several years. Huh. Well, Shane, why wouldn't you pray for revival right away? This is key here. Why wouldn't you pray for revival right away? You know, there may be others, but as I have done some study in revival, there are a couple of things that seems to be vital almost a prerequisite for revival. And the first thing that we see here when it comes to a revival coming to the church, we gotta pray for it. I know that sounds simple, but it's so important. We gotta pray for it. You have not because you ask not. We gotta pray for it. We've got to pray for revival, all these, all these things and things that we've seen and, and the research and studies that we've done, when it comes to revival in times where God really moved upon the hearts of the people, and it was, and it's not just you know two or three months, you know, the, 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 the enthusiasm of the people, when a real revival hits, man, we're talking years. Do you know that when the Reformation came and the Reformation hit and there was a huge revival within the church, that that revival lasted? years, it was years where people would come back 100 years later and still see the enthusiasm of the people spark. They were still enthusiastic about this. And two, 200 years later, they're still at it. It still goes. It's absolutely amazing when God does something and, and absolutely brings a move of the Spirit in. But here's the thing that you see. One of the elements that was very important that needed to happen before the revival came was people had to pray for it. Absolutely pray for it. And we are absolutely delusional if we think that's going to happen if we don't pray for it. We gotta pray for it. We gotta pray for it, family. It can't just be the elders. We gotta be praying for revival. You have not because you ask not. And we pray. We gotta pray for it. Okay, here's number two. Revival is not going to happen if there isn't true repentance? Number one, it's not gonna happen if we don't pray. Number two, it's not gonna happen if there's no true repentance. If there is no real repentance, no real not crossing the line and real not climbing the ladder, why in the world would God give us strength, desire and motivation to continue to rebel against him? If we're walking this way and this is the wrong way, why in the world do you think God would want to bring the power and the extraordinary gift of motivation to keep us walking the wrong way? Now, if we're really going to have revival, we have got to truly repent of our sins. Truly repent. God gives us strength, motivation, not so that we can continue to rebel against him, but so we can do what it is that he has called us to do. So as hard as it is to ask, here we go, you ready? Buckle your seatbelts. Sometimes we might need to ask when we pray for revival and it doesn't happen. Maybe we need to ask if we're truly repentant. Have we truly repented? Is there real repentance? (laughs) because revival's not coming if there's no true repentance in the church. God is not going to continue to give us or to give us strength, to give us motivation to walk in the wrong direction. Right? Because the people building the temple, this is what we got to understand. It's kind of implicit in the text. Because the people building the temple, the question is, were they going to do it? Whether they got revival or not, were they still going to do it? Yeah. Yeah. Implicit in the text, we understand that. Implicit in the text. The people were going to do it. They repented of their sins and they were going to go to build the temple. Now, whether God was going to revive them or not, were they going to still do the temple? Yeah, absolutely. That's the sign of real repentance. That's another picture of that because the essence of their repentance was true fear of God. So here's the thing that that we we have a problem with that we've got to make sure that we draw some clear lines when it comes to um, Christianity and our culture today because the motivation in our culture today is not obedience. Do you know what the motivation in our culture today is? It's not obedience. It's success. That's what motivates us today. And this ideology has come into the church where everything now is about success. Everything is about success. We won't do anything unless we have enough data (laughs) that gives us the idea that doing this is going to give us a good chance of succeeding. Success has become our motivation, not obedience. Success is our motivation. We don't want to do what God has called us to do unless there is success. So God has called us to go out to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the gospel from the rooftop, to evangelize, to tell people the gospel, to bring them to Christ. But let's be honest. What if you know for a fact that the next five people that you're going to talk to are going to spit in your face? Are we going to do it? Wow. Ah. Shane, I know I, I know you tell me that I need to, but you know, I, I always think about you know, preaching the gospel to my relatives, but that's lost causes, man. They're not gonna listen to me. They're not gonna care about what I have to say. They're not going to do that. They're just gonna sit there and smile. And my grandmother and my, my older aunts are gonna just laugh and go, oh, how cute, he believes in stuff. Right? And so we don't even try. Why don't we try? Because our motivation for evangelizing is not obedience. It's success. That's our culture, right? Does anybody in our culture actually encourage somebody to do something where you know for a fact it's going to fail? Shane, that's going to fail. Awesome. You should do it. It doesn't happen. It's just not that way. We're not. That's not our motivation. We don't want to do what God has called us to do unless there is success. And we don't want to keep doing, even if we do it. We won't keep doing it unless there is success. So it's like, yes, I'm doing it. Man, I, I was inspired. Pastor Shane's sermon inspired me, so I'm going to evangelize the next person I see. We evangelize one person and they go... Pshh all right, that, that's one failure. That's okay. I'm going to go to another person. Hey, let me tell you about... Okay, that's another person. How many times are we going to get slapped in the face before we say, man, this isn't working. I'm not going to do this anymore. You know why we say stuff like that? Because our motivation is success, not obedience. Because it doesn't matter what the outcome is. If if we're being obedient, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. It doesn't matter if I get slapped 10,000 times. (laughs) I'm doing this because this is what I'm supposed to be doing. That's the essence of true repentance. That our motivation is obedience to the Lord, not success. See, and I think a lot of times today, even when it comes to the church, we need the assurance from God... That we're going to be successful before we do it. I need to hear from God that God will help us. God is going to stir us up. God is going to motivate us. God is going to revive us before we do anything. Because if he does that, then we are going to be successful in obeying the word of the Lord. Isn't that kind of how we are That our culture? That pragmatism has crept into the church, so much so that our motivation for everything now is not obedience, it's success. The people did not wait to get assurances from God that they would be successful. Okay, yeah. hey guys, preaching the word of God and we were wrong. We are repenting. We're turning away from our rebellion. In fear of God, we're gonna go work on the temple, but... We're not going to do anything unless God stirs us up. Unless God motivates me, I'm not doing nothing. I know I'm supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to do that, but I know I'm supposed to do that. But I'm not going to do it until God ignites a fire within us. Hmm. Interesting. Successful in their task. No. Here's the issue, family. If revival comes, great. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to sit back and I'm just going to, 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 you know, soak up the glory like they used to say back in the day. We're just going to sit back and soak the glory in. I'm going to do that with you. You know, while Randy and Lori are, are floating in the glory of God, I'm going to be back, back choking my body. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, this is great. Hey, revival is great. I'm with you. I'm there. I am all about it. Here's the thing. If revival comes great, Here's repentance. Here's repentance. Stop doing. I'm about to do. If revival comes, great. But if not, I'm still going to get her done. Yeah. If not, I'm still going to get it. We're still going to do it. Repentance, true repentance, fear. True fear of God. The focus is obedience, not success. Our vision is the obedience to the word, not pragmatism. Stay the course no matter what. That's repentance. Yes, God, we want revival. And if it happens, awesome. But if it doesn't, we're going to stay the course. It's kind of the resolve, like um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Right? They're like, you know, you need to bow down to the statue. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said what? Hey, you know what? You can throw us into the furnace. And I believe that God can save us, right? Revival. We can do this. And I believe that God will give us the strength to do it. But what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Key. You can throw us in there. God can save us. But if he doesn't, we will still not bow down. Same essence. God can revive us, yes, but if he doesn't, we are still going to be obedient. So that's the second thing. Here's the last thing. So as we pray for revival at CBC, the question is, have we all truly repented? Have we truly humbled ourselves? Is the fear of God truly burning within my heart? And this is this is why the Lord's Day, I call us. I mean, we're essentially, family, we're called to repentance every Lord's Day here at Central Baptist Church, called to repentance in light of the gospel. So repentance is vital. We gotta do our duty, and the Lord is there to back us up. So that's point number two. Here's the last thing, third. The third thing that needs to happen to make sure it happens at that is that there is reform if there needs to be. What does that mean? Francis Safer writes this. There cannot be true revival unless there has been true reformation. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that we enact all the stuff that happened when it comes to the reformation? No, we got to understand the one thing that was, was essential when it came to the revelation, when it came to the reformation. Purity of the Word of God. Purity of doctrine. It's important. This is super important. Oh man, here you go. Pastor Shane's on the doctrine thing again. Yeah, this is why it's important. I'm, I'm dragging everybody, I'm pulling cord and doing all this stuff to make sure that we have purity of doctrine. You know why? Because if there is no purity of doctrine, it's not gonna be true revival. No way. God is going to put money, he's going to invest gas, he's going to invest energy and power and all of these kinds of things for us to be out there, enthusiastic, going out there, working hard for the Lord and spreading false doctrine. Come on, that's not gonna happen. And here's the thing, Haggai makes this stuff very important. He makes clear that they obeyed, right? We see that, but Haggai makes something really clear in verses uh, 12 and 13. They obeyed the word of the Lord. They obeyed the word of God. They heard the word of the Lord from Haggai and feared We got to obey. We got to obey. if you guys could come up here and see, this is what I put in in all capitals. We got to obey, but we got to obey what he says. This is super important. Super important. That there's purity in that. That we actually are doing what it is that God had called us to do. That we're actually saying what God told us to say. We gotta have that right. (laughs) We gotta have that right. Purity of doctrine and Practice the restoration of the true teaching of Scripture, and there being a true biblical worldview with the church, the true practice of biblical framework of worship, and the recognition of the commitment that how we worship God is just as important as that we worship God. Did we realize that? Again, I know my mother-in-law told me that's what you guys did in the Heidelberg cast. Commandment number two, right? How we worship God is just as important as that we worship God. Sometimes I feel like we just, hey, as long as you're worshiping the true God, you're good. Uh-uh. That's not true. Right? I mean, doesn't it sound odd? I think it sounds odd sometimes when I'm talking to people about this. And you know, hey, are saying, you know what? But, but we're worshiping God. You know, as long as we're worshiping God, does it really matter? Yes! But, but we're, we're focused on the right God. I know. But how we do it, does it really matter as long as it's the right God? Yes! It does. It's called the second commandment. You don't worship me with idols. You don't worship me with these kinds of things. I'm telling you exactly how you're going to worship me and you're not worshiping me this way. Did you know that Nadab and Abihu, did you know that they were actually supposed to put incense on the fire? Right? They're supposed to offer fire. They're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do that. But they were judged because they offered what? Strange fire. The wrong kind of fire. You offer the wrong kind of fire to God, God's going to judge us for it. is the, the second commandment. There is a way that we're supposed to worship God. So, why in the world is God going to revive a people who offer strange fire every single Sunday? No way, come on, no way. So number one, we got to pray for it. Number two, we got to actually repent. And number three, we have got to work hard just like the church in Ephesus did. We need to work hard to make sure that our doctrine is pure, that our doctrine is sound. You know, And I bring up the church in Ephesus because remember the one complaint that they had is that they lost their first love. But that's where revival comes in, isn't it? We've got to have pure doctrine and a commitment to that. Why in the world would God want to strengthen and motivate us to proclaim unbiblical teaching, unbiblical practice, and continue breaking the second commandment? Why? Why would God do that? You know? It's just like one one church I was reading about, they're still... In, in worship, they're still pumping gold glitter out of their vents so people can be worshiping the glory cloud that comes out. And they're claiming that it's revival. Why in God's name would he actually revive a people that do stuff like that? So as hard as it may be, revival is not coming because we have not reformed, we have not repented, or we have not prayed, or maybe it's something else. Number two, persistent discipline. Maybe, maybe family, it's because the norm of the life of a Christian is that we're disciplined, not revived. So again, we pray for revival. If revival comes, great. But if revival doesn't come, maybe it's because we didn't pray for it. Number two, maybe we didn't truly repent. Number three, maybe we've got cracked doctrines all over the place and we're not practicing and worshiping God correctly. Or maybe, number four, it's because revival is not norm, the norm for the life of a Christian. Because in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, but of love. Some of your translations will be sound mind. Some of your translations will be self-discipline. Because even when it comes to real life, this is an important principle. How many times in our lives are we led by motivation over self-discipline? You know, here's a great example for this. Working out. (laughs) You know, it's January. You know, some of you all made that, you know, New Year's resolution that we're going to work out. You know, we we bought the year, you know, we, we paid for a whole year at the gym. You know, because we figure since we paid for the whole year, that's going to motivate us to go to the gym. A lot of people don't even make it to the end of January. Why? Why? (laughs) This stuff is never going to happen if you're led by motivation. For the last three and a half years of working out at the gym, at the MMA gym... As excited and motivated as I am to do this, the reason why I still go today is not because of motivation. I go because of discipline. Going because of discipline. It's rare. Man, I'll tell you what, it's rare, man, when six o'clock comes and that alarm goes off out of a dead sleep, and it's just like, oh, it's gym day. I gotta go work out. I'm going to show up at the gym, and my coach, my jiu-jitsu professor, is going to make me run laps. I'm going to do push-ups. I'm going to do sit-ups. You know, he's telling me now that what he's going to do is he's going to attach a big rope to the ceiling, and he's going to start making us climb ropes. And then the whole time he's telling me this, I scratch my head and I go, I pay you for this. I'm paying you for this. I wake up in the morning. I think about all that stuff. And I think, ah, oh, my back hurts. Oh, my, my pinky toe is kind of sore this morning. I don't feel so good. You know what? I preached really hard on Sunday. I preached really hard on Sunday. All the people at Central Baptist Church, they would all concur. I'm sure that if I asked them, many of you guys would say, "Hey, you know, I'll just take a day off." No, Connie shaking her head. No, Connie would say, "Go to the gym." You weakling. Most of the time, I don't feel like going. But I say so many times that today is one of those days I had to claw and drag myself to the gym today. Just do it. Just do it. The Lord has called us to do a great work for Him in our culture. Revived or not. Motivated or not feel like it or not empowered or not we continue to work and do what the Lord has called us to do because we have self-control many times we don't feel like praying I'll tell you that sometimes for me I wake up I don't feel like praying I'm tired of praying already tired but it's shame stop it spirit is willing but the flesh is weak Sometimes I don't feel like reading the Bible. You know, there's there's, there's other books. You know, Tim Tim Keller came out with this new book. Maybe I'd rather do that instead of read the Bible today. But we have to be self-controlled. Many times we don't feel like it, but we do it anyway, self-control. We do it anyway because it's obedience to our Lord and our Savior. Whether we feel like it or not, a good soldier wants to please his commanding officer. If the soldier comes... You know, especially you know, one of my friends. He's a Marine, Don. Don, he's a Marine, pilot Marine though. Uh, Nah, it doesn't matter. He's a Marine. Semper Fi. He he always said like a lot of times at basic training. I I think Don, this is back in the day. He's 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 an older guy. He's like in his sixties, but he was a Marine. And he would tell me stuff like, you know, if you guys wake up in the morning at basic training and you go, I got a headache. Uh, I don't feel so good. I think I'm coming down with a cold. He goes, the drill sergeant's not going to go, oh, Don. Private sellers. He wasn't a private, but let's just say. Lieutenant sellers. You poor baby. Why don't you stay in bed today? Here, here, let me get the covers. Let me put the covers on there. Here, tuck you in. How's that feel? Tuck you in, yeah? Here's a, here, here. You know, you just, is there anything I can get you? Some gummy bears? No. And the soldier is not going to do that. A good soldier does not get caught up in civilian affairs. Good soldier doesn't get caught up with that kind of stuff. All the good soldier wants to do is please his commanding officer. Now, are there going to be days where you don't want to get up? Al, you were in in basic training. Are there days that they came in and they were banging the pots and all that stuff that you didn't want to get up? Yeah, but you better do it. Better do it. It's the norm of Christianity. Galatians chapter five, verses 22 to 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self Control. There is no law against these things. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Titus chapter 1 verse 8. Titus 1 8. For leaders in the church. But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Titus chapter 2 verse 12. Titus chapter 2 verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, controlled, upright, and godly lives in our present age. Revival or not, this is what we are called to do. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. 2 Peter chapter 1, 5 to 7. For this very reason, make every effort to su- supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25: every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Yes, if you are an athlete and you're training for a fight, you are not eating gummy bears all day long. Self-controlled in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. And the big one, the one that we learned from Sunday school, the one that stuck with us all our lives, the one that I was told when I was a little kid, and the one that I tell my kids even today, Proverbs chapter 25 verse 28. Proverbs 25, 28. Many of you probably have this one uh, memorized already. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. You know what that means? If you don't have self-control, anybody can do whatever they want to you. You'll fall for everything. You'll get snared in everything. You'll get trapped in everything. You will be every, everything everywhere. But if there is no revival family, we are not let off the hook. If we're not motivated, we are still not let off the hook. If we don't feel like it, we are still not off the hook. If you don't feel strong enough, you are still not off the hook. Why? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, I discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should the question remember as christians what's our the question the question who is in control my body is not going to tell me what i'm going to do control Who is in control? The norm of Christianity is winning the war against the flesh, training our bodies to do what it's supposed to do. You have got to train yourself to do what you are supposed to do. Most of the problems with Christianity come from our people not being self-controlled. The issues that we have in the church today are people who can't control the tongue, people who can't control their emotions, people who can't control their lust, who can't control their behavior, can control their desires. The greatest enemy is ourselves. It's amazing. And God wants us to be victorious. So could there be a situation where God is just like, yeah, I could revive them. But what I need them to do is I need them to get self control they need to learn how to be self-controlled. They need to learn how to be disciplined. They need to know what it means to truly be repentant. Our greatest enemy is ourselves, family. We got to be victorious. Because, like by Shane, come on, dude, we lose battles. I'm I'm not winning all the time. I'm not, I'm not. There's there's battles where I lose. Yeah, of course we're gonna lose. We still have the flesh. Where the, you know, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Even Paul talked about in seven that when I desire to do good, evil is right there with me. I want to do this thing, but I don't do the thing that I need to do. What I find is I do the things that I'm not supposed to do, but you know, but I end up wanting to do this, but I can't do this because the sin nature is there. So there's losses. There's going to be losses. Yes, you're going to fail. Yes, it's going to happen. But remember what I said. Are there going to be losses? Yes. Are we going to lose games? Yes. But what is the key? The key when it comes to a script is for Christians, for the Christian life today. Will we win more than we lose? That's the key. Are you winning more games than you are losing? And I know that sometimes some people don't like this but I mean I know that there's there's variables either way and all this stuff but generally if you just hear what I'm trying to say we are going to win more battles than we're going to lose. The question is our battle with sin and our obedience. A Christian Okay, let's just use the games. And we're going to stay with the games. A Christian winning more battles than you lose. So here it is. This is my question to you. Shane, am I okay? My question to you is this are you going to make the playoffs? You know, last time I checked when it comes to the NFL, when it comes to, to you know, going to the playoffs, you know, teams that are 2 and, and, and 14, if that's your record is 2 wins, 14 losses, the last time I checked, those kinds of teams don't make the playoffs. Right? For the most part, the teams that make the playoffs are the ones that have What? Winning records. Sure, you're gonna get an eight and eight team is gonna get in there every once in a while. But for the most part, they're at least nine and seven. The question that you have to ask yourself is this: are you winning? But but Shane, that's a lot to be asking, man. A winning record? Yeah. How can you expect that? Do you know why we can expect a winning record with Christians? Because if you really are a Christian, the Spirit of God lives in you. And the last time I checked, the Holy Spirit is not a loser. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit of God's in you, you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Will all be there in your life. You are a disciple of Christ. You are on the team of the living God. You bear his name. In other words, you wear his jersey. If you are a Christian, you're walking around with the Christian, Jesus' jersey on. Come on. But shame. But shame. I don't have a winning record. Then you might consider, as hard it is, as it is to hear, you might consider you might not be on the team. Uh oh. I would love a revival, I would love to be motivated and strengthened. I would love for there just to be this overwhelming desire for the work of the kingdom every single day of my life. I pray for it. I pray for it all the time. And my commitment to you is that I will continue to pray for it. But the question is, is our repentance real? It's clear that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's clear. It's clear that there is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. And we continue to fall when we support and teach things that are not in accordance with sound doctrine. True repentance and purity of doctrine is fundamental. And for many of us, we're not self-controlled. For many of us, we always lose to the flesh. We continue to fall and lose to temptation. We have no self-control, and our sin nature just keeps winning. Shane, is there just no hope for me? No, there's absolutely hope for you today. Today we can praise the Lord, we can praise the name of Jesus because salvation is here. Christ has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day, all according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I know for many of us, we're sitting here going, Shane, why are you telling me this, man? You know, I'm, I'm no, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for a really long time. But I am losing a lot. But you know what? No, I'm a Christian. Don't figure. You don't need to figure this stuff out. You don't have to line everything up and look past your whole life just right there, right where you are sitting. You confess your sin to God. And the Bible says what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Done. Don't figure. Repent. But Shane, I've been a Christian for 20 years, man. I've been going to 20 years. You're, you're, you're discounting all of that stuff. No, I'm not discounting any of that stuff. <laughs> I'm not discounting any of that stuff. As far as I'm concerned, you've been going to church for 20 years? Great! The main thing is that we've truly repented and that we are known by God so that when we go to heaven, Jesus doesn't look at us and say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's what matters. Today we can praise the Lord because the promises continue that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did I say that wrong? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Promises, love, mercy, grace is all here for us. What an amazing God we serve. And the thing is, is when it comes to revival, yeah, there are things we can do, but ultimately it's God who's gonna do it, right? So we rest in that. Maybe God is saying, I need you guys to be self-controlled. I need you guys to train. I need you guys to be trained in what it is that I have called you to do because you, my son, you, my daughter, are future kings and queens of the kingdom of heaven. And man, I sure need you guys to act like it. It's oh, awesome. It's awesome. And that God is doing that to us, God is training us in discipline. You know what that shows us? shows us that we're really a child of God yeah no discipline feels good at the time no I get it but in the end it's going to reap a harvest of righteousness and it is in the hand of God and so here's the last thing remember revival in the hand of God we rest in the hand of God but even when it comes to Christianity family we rest in the hand of God not because I'm trusting in what we do and the choices that we make. That would be terrible. Oh my gosh. If our, if our quote unquote success in Christianity is dependent upon my choices, your choices, the things we do, no. He who began a good work in you will be faithful and just to bring that work to completion at the day of the Lord. It's in his hands, family praise the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.